Welcome back to another episode of Midnight Showing with myself, Nash, and, of course, Luke. Another, another example of thanking my parents for having me in 1996 and not <laughs> 895 AD. Yeah, thank, thank Christ we live in the now, because, boy, it's <laughs> life a bit different back then. Uh, this week, we're obviously talking about the Northmen. I'm gonna... Go ahead and say it, it's gonna be the movie of the year, and it's probably the best movie in the decade. In, in the decade, <laughs> straight up, bro. Yeah. It was honestly incredible. It was so incredible, dude. I'm so glad that we pulled trigger and went to go see it in the theater on the big screen, bro. Because that was a freaking movie. Bro. Yeah, it's the first thing I want to talk about is it's probably the first time in a movie. It's like. Barely over two hours, like two hours and seven minutes or something like that. Okay. And when you're watching it, it feels like a long movie. But I feel like in the best of ways, it's like so much goes on. These last few weeks, we've been doing a lot of movies that have been really good. And I think a good movie is something you can look at from multiple angles and have different ideas upon it. And I think The Northman did such a great job lining up the audience to just have so many questions and want to know so much more about what is going on in The Northman. It is not a one-dimensional like murder spree revenge plot. There is so much more going on here. And honestly, um, is it? I forget if it's Roger Egers or Robert Egers. This guy is just murdering the game, bro. He has cemented himself as one of the greatest directors of the new generation. You know that he did The Lighthouse? Yes, I did know he did The Lighthouse. And watching that movie, it's like, you're goddamn right the guy that made The Lighthouse made this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Robert Egers, not Roger. That was my bad. Yeah, Robert Egers. And then he also made The Witch in 2015, which I haven't seen. And I think now we have to do it for the show since we yeah. did the North Northman in the Lighthouse, bro. Yeah. But I mean, tell me t- tell me about your experience, dude. You, you saw it in the theater uh, to break the fourth wall. Nash and I live in different states, so we weren't able to go see it together. But how was your experience going to the movie theater to see it, bro? So I saw it with the Dolby. Uh, this is a little intro before the movie started, because I went with the, the Dolby surround sound theater. Right? <laughs> yeah, it worked. And, and so I it was like, I went I went to go like refill my beverage before the movie started and it was like the end of one of the trailers are doing like the the movie theater intro right and i'm running up and then just the speaker just slams me because it's in the wall and i straight up almost fell over like, <laughs> I was like oh my god it's just like the inception the inception train that just wrecked my eardrum <laughs> that's so funny dude. so i'm like kind of jogging back you know i didn't want to miss it <laughs> and i could hear like the amc uh, music going off and it just you know almost made me fall over. But shell shock. I will say because uh, I to, to that earlier point I made uh, at the beginning, I left the movie thinking it was a three hour movie and it was barely over two hours. And typically, I feel like that would be a negative. But here, it's just like the story is incredible. The timing is perfect, not rushed in any way. And the plot feels so contained. You know, I I really appreciated the choice to have everything happen on this one secluded farm. But I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So because this movie is so long, there's so much going on. Let's try to talk about it like relatively chronologically. 
You know, so let's let's talk about Ethan Hawke's performance as the king and tiny little Amlet, dude. Because oh my god, talk about casting for getting the scrawniest, squiddiest kid in the world <laughs> to turn him into the six foot eight monster that is Alex yeah. Skarsgård, bro. He's just just become he becomes the Viking berserker. Like he is just a force of death, dude. That scene where he catches the spear and throws it back. Unreal. It was one of the hardest things I've ever watched. Yeah, that's and, that's the definition of badass right there. And and to go off of that, it goes so well because of how uniquely this camera is playing in this movie. Like it it it's definitely not all in one shot, but it very much feels like there are so many scenes that have these long shots and the camera feels heavy. Yes. Like the camera is as bold as this movie is, which is kind of a weird thing to say, I think. But if you see it, I think you kind of get where I'm going at, where I, I noticed at least two times where the camera's like just staring, looking at some scene going on. And then when we get to the characters that we are actually concerned about, you see the camera pan right and start following them. And yeah. it, it it's doesn't it's not like a shaky over the like it's just a solid absolute turn and now you're following the character. Totally, it, it feels very purposeful. Yeah, and I mean in that first part that you're talking about when he's raiding that city and he climbs over the wall, that was the first moment I noticed how much of a set piece this movie is. You know, because oh, yeah. you can just tell there's so many things going on at once that it feels so real in the way that he's just walking around that town as they're wildly pillaging these people. And the you're so right that like the way the camera moves, you can feel the purpose in everything that's happening. And I mean, even, you know, the the one scene with William Defoe in it, that gave me like such great lighthouse vibes to what he was able to do with that movie where like, yeah, not only does the camera have weight and it can move in such a fluid way, but at the same time, he's so good at sprinkling in little moments where it gets a little trippy or it gets a moment where it's you don't quite know what's going on and it doesn't feel jumbled or jarring. It just is masterful, dude. It's there's not an awkward scene because of how the camera or staging is. It It's it's so strong and purposeful, like you said, it. it especially with those scenes where it is kind of trippy. Like it does, it still has that feel of like, of it still has that scene strength that has, you know, like, yeah. that, I don't know that staging is incredible, but yeah, let's go to the beginning. Let's talk about Ethan Hawke because I thought that the 15 minutes he was in the movie were amazing. And I was yeah. kind of bummed. He was the, um, Who's uh who's the the king in Game of Thrones season one? Oh, Ned Stark. Yeah, yeah but but Sean the the actor, um, Boromir, how he dies uh, and everything. I Sean totally Bean. got. Yeah, Sean Bean. I when when Ethan Hawke died, I was so like Sean Bean vibes, where I was like, oh man, I know that he would have murdered the entire thing all the way through. But in in those fifteen minutes that we we see him, I he did. I thought he did such a phenomenal job, kind of becoming a Viking esque character in that type of power, dude. I like I like I almost couldn't even tell it was Ethan Hawke, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that that that's something that I've noticed too, because I saw it with two other people. They made some really good points about that, how one of them was like, was that really Ethan? Like, was that Ethan Hawke? Because it is kind of hard to tell. Like, he's yeah. in a ton of hairs really long. 
he's playing, I think, a character that seems totally unfamiliar to the characters we've seen him play. I could be totally wrong, but that's just, you know, based on what I've seen of him. I've never seen him in a role like no, that. I imagine, I imagine Ethan Hawke as, like, your stepdad after your parents had a messy divorce. He's the dude, he's the dude who starts boning your mom, you know? <laughs> Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, but also, uh, one of my friends said that it was it reminded him, especially with those tracking shots during the fights. It reminded him of The Revenant uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and uh, gosh, how am I blanking on his name? Tom Tom Hardy. I think yeah. it was Tom Hardy in that movie, yeah. Yeah, and so it's like those scenes where you've got the fight going on, but then you've got all these other background, like the whole battle is still going on in the background. Yeah. And there's still crazy stuff happening in the background. There's like there's no s- wasted space in that shot, but you're following the main guy in his utter badassery. <laughs> that makes, honestly, that makes the movie feel very modern. Yeah. You know, like, I, I feel like if you were to go back and, like, watch the Lord of the Rings movies, maybe, um, I feel like... Or, like, the, Braveheart. Yeah, the, the camera work doesn't feel as purposeful as it does here, and it, it honestly makes the movie feels so modern, which is interesting because this is not a modern and new tale, Nash, is it? This is this is a tale that's been told many times before, no? The tale is old as time itself. No, it's, <laughs> it's not that old, but it's pretty old. Um, so I had to look it up. Um, we try not to do it on the show, but I was just curious. I didn't want to misspeak because to me, I obviously have most of my knowledge in sort of classical English literature. And to me, it was like, this seems like Hamlet if Hamlet was a Viking. To the and ex- his name's Amlet, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, to the extreme. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, at first I thought his name was Omelette. At one point in the beginning, someone says his name. I'm like, did they just say Omelette? But <laughs> yeah, it's Amleth, which is, you know, pretty similar to Hamlet. But it's also based off of a... Uh, Nordic story of the character named Amlet. I don't know how much it's based off of that, but I think that's why it does such a good job because it isn't Hamlet, right? It isn't word for word, scene for scene, shot for shot. It isn't Shakespeare's Hamlet. 100%. No, it's not. It isn't. What the beauty in that, what it takes from those, that story is the fact of how intertwined it is with viking culture because it's not a gentle tiptoe with okay we're going to use things that really most people know about vikings you know that people just sort of would have heard about or learned about you know as they just grow up they would have learned this stuff about vikings like no there's a lot of times where viking culture is happening and unless you like are a professor or study nordic culture like this you're not going to know what's going on you're not going to know what the actual cultural relevance of that is. And the movie does a good job of sort of explaining it and showing the importance of that, but having it juxtaposed to that, the classical sort of Christian morality really does something cool because you're like, is this guy a good guy? And yes, based on his culture, he is, he's doing exactly what his moral code teaches him to do. But as in like Christian morality, it's like, no, because he's kind of just murdering a ton of people. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I think Nordic culture is an extremely important piece of this this entire movie, and I think it really has to do with you know it comes down to the idea of fate and the Norns and all the symbolism in this movie, which I think starts with Ethan Hawke in that scene yeah. with with William Defoe, right? And so to kind of touch on what you just said, what I was really perplexing my mind when I walked out of this movie was the significance of all of this symbolism, right? Yeah. Like not to the point of like, what does it mean? But was it actually happening? And my kind of Uh. general thesis that I want to talk to you about is that I feel like this movie did such an amazing job engrossing us in the culture of these people that we're almost seeing this world through their eyes and they truly believed all of this stuff you know and and i want to kind of discover with you what we think actually happened and what we think was just part of their memory and i think a good place to start with that is ethan Hawke's character and how that relates to his son because that's where it starts that's where the teardrop is shed and it's so clear that every character in this movie is so ingrained like, like, like religion and all these practices are so ingrained into every character's brain that, you know, for the, sh- I, I really need to see this movie again so I can really pay attention to the Ethan Hawke stuff because, um, when you, when, when you have a character that dies so early, you, you know that any conversation he has with anyone up to that point is extremely important because that's all we get about their character, right? Yeah. And what you do hear him say in the beginning is that he doesn't want to grow old to be a gray beard. He wants to die in battle, and it's very important for him that he lets his son know that whoever kills him, his son has to go on a vengeful, vengeful, vengeful mission, you know? And William Defoe backs it up, and I think the overall question is: Did, did Ethan Hawke plant that, or is it a thread of fate by the Norns? Mm. Mm. Yeah, because this this movie does something beautiful with how reliable our narrator is, how how reliable the storyteller is that we're receiving it from. Because I'm gonna say that I think most of it is reliable. It's he he trips sack. <laughs> probably shouldn't say that he trips out um really young right in a very religious way so yeah. i feel like that cognitively makes sense that when he is some like endeavoring on religious missions or when he perceives something to be a religious aspect he sort of goes back to that mentality that he knew that he learned when he was young, right? That it was aggressively ingrained in him. Yeah. So I think that makes sense for him. (laughs) Dude, not, not to cut you off, but not only was it aggressively ingrained in him, but literally his dad was like, Hey, whoever kills me, you have to kill. And then 10 minutes later, he watched his dad die by somebody (laughs) that he has to kill. And like like 10 minutes later, he was like, okay, it's ingrained in me. (laughs) I guess I know what I'm doing for the next 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I will avenge my father. I will save my mother. I will kill. Like, fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, so to get that, those scenes are so good. Phenomenal. Truly phenomenal, dude, because I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think any of it was real, low key. You know, I, do, I, don't, I don't think the Norn was real that gave him the fate. You know, like Jen, oh, yeah. and that—that's just my perspective on the movie that makes it cooler to me. Because 
when the movie ends, right? Let, let's let's skip to the to the way the movie feels after you leave. I felt it wasn't even worth it, bro. You know, like it really this vengeful quest wasn't wasn't worth it in the end because he died and doesn't get to meet his kids and like the okay th so back to what i said earlier about how i'd loved how it was so contained on the small farm because you could think that there's going to be a vengeful quest where he has to actually go into the capital and attack this crazy aggressive king who has all this power that's not what happens right the this this king already had his kingdom taken from him like like i think it was like less than five years after he took it over you know yeah. and so like they were just living on a farm kind of peacefully he um amlet did a bunch of bad stuff killed his son did all that had the opportunity to leave and then goes back and just while he's laying there with his heart stabbed out the only thing i'm thinking is like this wasn't even worth it. Is this just like in his own mind, his father planted this seed that turned into like a cobweb that he couldn't get out of his head that pushed him to do this stuff. And it's not even worth it in the end. And to me, because to me, I felt like it wasn't worth it. That undermines almost every moment of something supernatural happening in the movie. Yeah. And in comparison to him, especially because we can, we can, Base it off of like what we already talked about, sort of Christian morality. But looking at it from the perspective of Viking morality, we've got that he, Amlet, is sort of, he is the pure Nord, right? He is the true Viking, absolute in their beliefs and customs, and he follows them as closely as possible every time, right? So when we get... As, as someone in the, in the king tree should. Yeah. <laughs> salt of my blood but it's, <laughs> <laughs> so when we see that sort of flop from his mom and his uncle it's like that's sort of closer to home for the audience i think not being vikings where it's like oh they were doing this because they cared for each other and they're forced into this culture and now we're sort of left with, okay, we have to compare how we feel morally about his actions and how culturally all of his actions tie in. Because for his culture, he's more in the right than anybody throughout yeah. the whole movie with everybody he kills. That's good. And it's sort of a bizarre foreign concept for somebody to go against that those cultural norms. Absolutely. And it's like, to, to what extent do, do we see this entire world as like that culture? Like, okay, well that was, that was a weird way to say it, I guess. Like the entire film is that culture, but in terms of the audience looking at something, at a story that happened in theory 2000 years ago, right? Like, how much are we supposed to put our own morality around it is kind of the point you're getting to, right? Yeah. Or you don't really, that's, that's like such the beauty of it because he's the protagonist. We want him to win, but we see him do all these horrific things. And it's very unique in this movie because it's totally, it's totally appropriate for his culture the the final scene that he's with um the uh oh, God, i should really know her name um the yeah yeah she's she's incredible in this movie um olga the la the scene when they're on the boat right 
I, as an audience member, was selfish in that moment because I was like, oh, he's not going to go back and kill him for a second. You're like, oh, no way he's riding off into the sunset. That would be the obvious thing to do. But then but then in, in his head, you know, he kind of, well, okay, this is why I think this movie is so good because I'm taking the stance that none of this was real, yet there's so many moments that I think Robert Eagers is kind of playing with us and our expectations because like okay in my opinion none of it was real he was just a human who had his brain a little messed up but he kissed her neck in the blood and he just knew that his kids were in her you know so like that that moment that he kisses them and jumps wait, off wait, the boat wait 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 you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> no uh, I do not have that superpower that's um, normal <laughs> like like in in that moment to me I was like oh dude you can just ride off into the sunset none of this actually yeah. matters okay yeah he's gonna come back and like hunt you down for killing his son like that was a valid concern but like the fate aspect of it I was like you're just being a, like like a silly human right now. You like like you know because humans are like malleable. We are creatures who are very easy to be persuaded and th- give things importance that might not have importance. So like I looked at it in a very realistic way of a human, not looking at it at, from their culture. Like you were talking about looking at it from our culture. But then you know he kisses her neck and he knows that his blood is within her. Or she does the prayer and then you see wind go on the sails. Like is that Roger Eager saying that there is actually like gods and 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 Odin in this world, or is that just like part of what happened to happen right there? And it's our job to kind of figure that out. You know? What I'm yeah, saying? dude. Like it's so. It's an epic, right? It's like you can't disregard that. But also, there are kind of things when we know... Like, there are things that we can point to, I think, that help get rid of sort of the mystical aspect. Yeah. One, like, I think one of the best scenes is when he fights the Draugr in the, in the tomb. It's right? so sick, dude. And he fights it, but he doesn't really fight it. Exactly. Like, that. that's a very cool scene. It's like... Oh, okay. So this is the this is part of the epic tale. Like this is what this is how like we're we we just saw what's gonna get told in the tale, but we didn't yeah. see what actually happened. Yes, oh my god, that is such a great way to put it, bro. We we heard the version that Amlet tells ten years from now to hype up the story, yeah. not what actually happened, you know? And it uh this is such a phenomenal movie, dude, because yeah. I really don't know, you know, and like because, OK, there's there's moments like that where I think it's like just real life and everyone's tripping on mushrooms. But then also he can't pull the blade out in moonlight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we'll is see, that, that real? Like, what the fuck? You know, we'll, we'll see. That goes back to the epic, too. And it's partly yes, partly no, because when he can't pull the moon, the sword out to kill him uh his uncle at night that is that was in my brain when it 100 percent clicked i was like this is hamlet because in hamlet there's a big scene where he's going back to kill his uncle the king and he sees his uncle praying and big monologue about how he can't kill his uncle while he's praying because that will be just or that won't be just for Hamlet's sake. What it'll be just for the king's death. The king will have a noble death when he doesn't deserve it. Like he can't kill him when he's just asking for forgiveness because that sort of negates the whole revenge. Like I want him to suffer in hell is a whole point. And same thing there. 
the, you know, divine nature of an old rusty sword won't let him pull it to kill him because it goes against his promise. It's like, oh, of course I can't kill him now. I was supposed to kill him on fire. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally the quote, though. <laughs> that's my. That's my promise oh. that I made. Oh my god, dude! Well, yeah. That, oh god, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why. That's why I'm. I'm so. I'm so perplexed on where to put the symbolism in it being a Shakespearean tale and in it being an epic, you know? Because to me, it was just all planted there through his trauma of watching his dad die and cutting that dude's nose off yeah. in front of him. But then, like, for example, the blanket. There is the blanket that he, or like the, the tapestry of the, of the king tree. Remember that? Like, but like right when he gets yeah. there to be a slave and he um, sees his uncle getting his hair cut by his mom and he sees the life tree right there. So like, it's clear that this is just a part of the mythology in this culture. And like, if you're ingrained in a culture that is so religious and built on ceremonies and everything, and we know it is because Roger Egers gives us so many examples of that. For example, cutting off horse heads when your son dies, you know, yeah. that's a little gnarly. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like how can, how can as a person, your brain not look at life through this lens when it is so constantly in front of you. And I, I like kind really confidently think that's kind of what's going on in this movie, or at least that was some thought to the creation of this idea was like, what if we just make a Viking movie that isn't so focused on the fact that Odin is real, but putting us in the perspective of humans who would be living in that time frame? Yeah. Yeah. Because like there are things there that that what trips me up is there are things that like I can sort of rationalize like all right he couldn't pull the sword out because it's an old sword it could be rusty it's also you know I'll steal this from the movie Gladiator you got to watch out for the cold because it makes the blade stick there's also that thing um, the crows. I can't explain like when the crows oh, free him. Maybe totally. it's just maybe it's just the fact that he was a huge guy and the rope was too weak for him. And in the tale, that's what he tells that Odin's crows came because of course they fucking would, because that's what Odin does <laughs> to free him on his righteous oh, path. Dude. <laughs> no, dude, I dude, I I no, I think you describing it like that is is super, super helpful because I feel like I I, f I feel like that's what's going on here. We're being told an epic tale that actually wasn't that epic, you know? Yeah. Because, like, well, she saved him, right? She's the one who came back to get him after he um, sacrificed himself for her to get away. So, yeah. like, in theory, it was just her. But when when he opened, when um when his uncle opens up the barn door to see him, all the crows fly at him. So the crows were actually in there, bro. You know, yeah. but do, do crows just hang out in farmhouses and <laughs> wherever they are? I don't know. I'm not an expert on crows, bro. I'm just here to watch the movie. What do you make? Like, what are you doing? Maybe they're just eating the hay in there. Who knows? But that happens. Yeah. It's also like yeah, it's, it's that scene. Um, the Draugr scene and the uh, the Valkyrie scene where she saves him and he has the vision where it's the Valkyrie rescuing him on the, on the horse and she's like yelling yeah and Epic, so it's, dude, that it, shot was so sick bro it's those two scenes that make me think okay 
I'm getting I'm getting two stories at the same time here. I'm getting what could be what is the epic, and I'm also getting what's actually happening. Yeah, and that, that's where it gets so hard to diverge. Also, the thing, probably the hardest thing to explain is sort of the shaman in the movie, right? Because we yeah. get what three? Well, we, yeah, the three of them. Yeah, there we get three different sh- unique shaman, and one of them. Is William is, Defoe? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. That's William weird Defoe. enough. That's weird enough, man. <laughs> but the blind one in the in, in Wait, I'm, sorry, I'm just thinking about his skull, dude. The way that oh, they yeah. made that little skull look so much like him, it was so funny. <laughs> him, I didn't mean dried, to cut you off. Shunk, <laughs> dried, shrunken head of William Defoe. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what were you saying? What were you saying? Well, I'm saying it's like the one in Roos. I cannot explain it all. Because she's totally disconnected from every all the other shaman, right? Totally culturally, yeah. every, well, I th- everything. I, th- is I think she's supposed to be the Norn. No, is is that? Am I kind of? Am oh, I no, wrong no, in that? No, I think you're right. No, I yeah, think you're right. right. Yeah, that that one's like the other two are like men in the world, um, yeah. translating, and she was the actual representation of the Norn, the Weaver of Fate. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense. That's just totally a vision. Because mm-hmm. the other two guys, that that's a big thing too with cult, the cultural aspect. Is like, how do they know so much, right? And it's like, well, we've already established it in this culture. People don't, people aren't trying to live that long. They're trying to die in battle as frequently as possible. So, which is gnarly. It kind of makes sense that the two oldest characters that we actually see that are these wise shaman. That they kind of know each other. Why? Because they're the oldest guys. They'd probably know the most about anything than than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> they're just alive longer. So they know more people. They know more things. They know who to talk to to know stuff. That kind of makes sense. But it's also, there's definitely some divine knowledge that they bestow. <laughs> you know? So yeah. you, can't, you can't sort of logic that one totally away. Ah, uh, makes it a very good movie. And yeah, honestly, though, and like... Again, and if if I'm wrong about this, I don't care because that's what makes it good, bro. You know, I feel like this is kind of like a broader thing about movies, I'm going to say. But like, just like, just just because you have an idea that's quote unquote wrong about something, it doesn't like it, it, it adds to the movie. In my opinion, being able to look at something and have your own idea about it that you think you can back up and then hearing a director or actor talk about it. And that was like nowhere in their mind when they thought about it, that enhances the art because it means it was so good that I was able to bring my own representation and reality from it, you know? And I I think things that aren't as thick or dense don't give you that much to work with in terms of how you're going to interpret it. And this movie is just chock full of that interpretation and it makes it objectively good in my opinion you know i just like and that is you know not the way english works an objective opinion but it's my objective opinion so suck it <laughs> god i just oh man one thing i would also like well because yeah I, I got a note again edgar's and bjorn i think were like the writers for it too because edgar's directed it as well um, they have such such incredible direction with the story, the culture. They don't shy away from the culture in any way. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean. They shy away from the culture 
just a little bit because pirates aren't that nice. They weren't very known for being nice, friendly, funny people. They, they do were, fight zombie sharks, though. They were kind. <laughs> they were kind of rapists. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a bit whitewash, watered down pirates, right? Yeah, it's and, a little less Disney friendly, huh? Yeah, exactly. And so you know, I love those movies, at least the first three, and you know, I, I get what because Disney made it, they can't make it all you know piratey like that, but this movie doesn't back down or shy away from that cultural aspect and it deserves all praises because it doesn't justify sort of the violent nature or anything. No, right? not at all. It not at all. I, I, I think by the end, you're like, that wasn't even worth it. Honestly, I, I don't want to be a Viking. <laughs> yeah. Like no, no straight up. I, I, I don't think it glorifies the violence at all, dude. I think it makes it very brutal and real and like, like gnarly, honestly, you know, and, and like I, it's I, I respect it because it didn't go the more Disney route of like having the action but not having it be that gnarly. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. no. <laughs> they got people, they got guts hanging out of uh, people in this movie, and like that first scene, like I could, I could watch that first scene on repeat when he just climbs the wall and is walking around the town with his shoulders up, dude. Like, <laughs> oh my god, bro, it was just so. So wild, man. And in that same vein, I want to... Something I did notice that is an acting thing and a director thing. I Obviously, those things go very hand-in-hand. Um, is when Amlet becomes a slave, is playing that role, and we he genuinely slips into that role of being a slave, so much so that in the last fight, it's very easy to notice when he's walking up in the volcano and it's like just a sort of like uh, a perspective of it's just like a silhouette kind of perspective. You can see how he's still holding his head down. Like, like, like he's a slave. Really? I didn't even notice that dude. Like he's not walking tall with his head fully upright. Like he was when he was a berserker killing people in Yeah, He's walking with this slouched neck it looks painful because he's been carrying all this heavy crap for like a year or so. <laughs> like he's, he's become that sort of character, that role he was playing to that was supposed to be a temporary thing. And he kind of dies that way. Like you said, he, he dies a slave to the fate that his father gave. Him. <sighs> <laughs> And but like again, okay, let's 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 talk about where the movie actually takes place and why I appreciated it even more. Because our whole conversation so far has been about where to place that purpose. And I feel like that purpose wouldn't be there if this was the epic tale of him going into the citadel and having to have a coup where he stabs Caesar in the back. Yeah. You know, that's that's really not not what's going on here. Um, and just the fact that like because it's in this kind of happy valley, for lack of a better term, green grass everywhere, animals, little foxes that'll howl with you at the moon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like something, something about that um, kind of made me put my guard down a little bit for for what was going to happen next. You know, I felt like the whole movie, I couldn't tell what was going to happen next and i i feel like that's another just really strong point as to why this is such a good good movie 
Yeah, and that it, that does a very powerful thing when we learned about how his uncle failed to keep the kingdom. Um, where it sort of justifies for the audience, like, oh, okay, this guy is just a bad leader. He really shouldn't be the one doing it. And then you learn that, no, nah, he just doesn't want to, like, get his intestines pulled out. Like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he just he doesn't want to. He's not really about that life. He's sort of commanding his farm. Like, yeah, he's, well, he's I, cool with that. <laughs> I I feel like he wanted to have kind of like a more earthy experience, I guess, in the way of like the first time we meet him after the time skip is him to like um doing the work with his son, and his son is like, "Why are we doing this? We have slaves," and he's like, "No, it's important for you to understand." what the slaves have to do. And I think he says to remind them that we're just as strong as they are. You know, yeah. that was, that was kind of a gnarly line, you know, I like, and I, I'm not even sure if, if I hate that character, you know, like in the context of the story for what he did, you know, like, like, I, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think we're supposed to hate his uncle? Like, like, I guess. So this whole conversation, we've been talking about the, the purpose, right? Like, yeah. Do you get behind Alexander Skarsgård's character in Hamlet, or do you get behind his uncle who just maybe made a mistake and has now had his you know entire family ripped from him? Like, are are you fully behind Alexander Skarsgård as the protagonist in his actions? I think, I think I am. For for the the for the purpose of. It's his tale. It's okay. Whereas I can understand the reasoning of the uncle, but here's here's the thing that I think is kind of sort of a a false a false hope or a lie from them justifying sort of them murdering his dad. Or yeah, his dad, the king. Um because you know, we, his mom reveals that she used to be a slave, and the only reason her dad, or his dad, blah, blah, blah his, the only reason that Amlet's dad married her is because she gave him a son. Yeah, we need to talk about her in uh, detail. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I think that's kind of a lie to say, but your uncle, he really loved me. I think that's kind of BS, especially when, guess what? He's got two sons. Was she screaming in the beginning? That, see, I I think yes. I don't know. I remember her yelling and screaming. You know what I mean? I That's, that's yeah. what I remember, you know? So I think, I think that that's uh, just another reason why it's so good. Why I need to watch it again. But like, talk about a moment where the whole thing just shifts again. And, you know, maybe to use her to kind of prove my point about it is that like, she feels so fictitious in this entire thing. Like she's trying to tell her own story of her own life where she yeah. is kind of just this person, this succubus maybe who goes around to different dudes, just like having it, you know? And like what she said to him was so hurtful, bro. Like I didn't like you. You're fucked forced himself upon me and I never liked you and even the first time that we see young Amlet interact with her is her busting in and Cher being like never come in my room unannounced you know yeah. like that's really the only time we see her talk to him is when you know she yells at him you know and it's like ah, a moment like that is just 
But epic, epic, you know. But what? But why would she not want him to bust in like that? Because she was getting dressed, and then he would have known she was a slave. Oh shit! Oh, and, I didn't even think about that. And when uh, his dad is telling Amlet's dad is is saying that he's got to become a man, like he's got to go through the ritual. She is deeply concerned for him, saying he's too young to be doing this. Yeah. He can't be ready to lead yet. Totally so, forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. So, so I think it's B. I think it's BS. I think if you look at her in that situation now, she's got a much better thing going on in that current situation. She doesn't want to chance that by going to war, like having to retake their old home. Yeah. Right. It, it It's it's too many ifs, ands and buts for her. And it's like it makes way more sense to stand your ground here. She's already accepted that life. People have died. Lots of people have died. A lot of stuff has happened to get to that point where she is now. So chancing that is kind of stupid on her end. So it makes sense. She's like, no, I'm fully dedicated to this. But she's a, it's really dedicated in a mean way. And so I think that that's what makes it easier to not like her because she's mean. That, that scene was creepy, dude. That was like that was really, really wild. And uh, again, I feel like that's just another moment where the the myth and the tale was brought back down to earth. You know, it's it's like all these people are like living in the clouds with the way that they were perceiving existence you know, with like yeah. the ceremonies and the norms and the fates and even the opening of this movie when it's on the mountain shop before it explodes. And um, I don't, I don't know whose voice it is, but like saying, take us back to the old world where the, the weaves of fate were done by norms and, you know, everything like, um, is, is she just living like her, her, her own fate? I don't know. That was, pro- that might've been my favorite part of the movie is just when it, when it flipped on, on him like that. And she yeah. was like, why are you, why'd you come back? Idiot. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> hey, we're all doing fine dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, God, what else to say? Um, well, talk, let's talk about like the, um, some of like the action that, that he takes within the movie, you know, how, how satisfied were you with his actual revenge plot? The only thing I, uh, something that I'll pay attention to on a rewatch is like how fleshed out the plan feels. You know, I, I felt like there was kind of a quick jump of like, I'm going to make his life a living hell to him knowing about his mother and then it, it becoming that, you know what I mean? Like I, I felt like it took a little bit of time to get to the point in which he was going to start doing the kind of making his uncle's life a living hell. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. how, how did you feel about that big middle chunk of the movie when he was actually getting even? I think a lot of it has to do with him. Like, I agree. It doesn't feel like it's too fast paced and that starts to happen. And I think that development is because of that becoming a slave aspect when, uh, Olga, right. Her name. Yep. Yep. When she sort of, you know, is telling him act like a slave idiot, like, or they'll figure you out. Like you can't just be run and gun because then you'll get clapped. Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> real quick yeah. so i think that's sort of why he bides his time because that he's like oh you're right because he, he's not an idiot like that's why it's sort of he's able to succeed is because he can sort of play what he knows about his own people's fears on them you know he's the, he's the man on the inside and yeah yeah w- when it does start to kick up it's like 
that's when that mom, like, that's when he has a confrontation with his mother. And so that's sort of like, oh, another hiccup in the plan is step two can't really be done. I can't, I can't capture, like, I can't rescue my mom because she's not trying to get rescued. Yeah, three-step plan, three-step plan, step two uh, taken out. (laughs) So it's like... Can't do three-step plan. (laughs) Now we have to readjust, and that all, I mean, that totally alters, you know, what his end result for this is. Well, you know, honestly, I feel like that moment with the mother, to me, is probably the most important part of the movie. If, if not only my favorite, but I think it might be the most important moment in which, you know, the plot really just does a 360 on itself and is like, do like, are you like, as the audience, do you even know what's important here anymore? Because this dude's entire life has essentially been a lie, you know? Yeah. And we see, we see him utterly destroyed emotionally and totally altered. Cause if you remember, yeah, so angry he stabbed his stepbrother. That's pretty angry. Exactly, and he went in there as a slave, saying that if the if I have to if I have to bring him with me, I'll bring him with me. So he's fine with bringing his like stepbrother in, but like the plan gets so shifted on him, he's now got to be totally devoted to something entirely different that he's been sort of on his mind for, you know, however many years it's been, you know, and now it's like, oh gosh, big shock to the mainframe, you know? Yeah. Huge shock. So, um, in, in regards to the kind of the whole point we've made, we've been making about, you know, the grandness of this, where do you put in the actual King tree? Did you enjoy the actual representation of it? Cause I thought it was a little goofy, little cool. A little I, bit of both. I do think that if you're going to say anything is goofy or hammy about the movie, it's the King Tree. But I really liked it. Like, I can acknowledge that it was probably the, you know, sort of most out there thing that happened. But it, it, I, it sorry, to, sorry to cut you off. It, it grew on me. The first time it happened, I was like, this is weird. What kind of movie are we watching right now? But then as it kept going, the more they showed it, the more I kind of accepted it. Uh, yeah, I'll say it's like the first time I was like, that was kind of weird. I'll I'll let it slide, I guess. Second time I was like, this thing again. The, by the third time we see it, I'm like, I, I, I like this. I like this yeah. thing. I like I like what I like what they're doing here. Because the I think the third time is the last time we see it. And there was something that I'm unsure of. I'll probably have to Google it to figure it out is did you notice how the last time we see it, it sort of like zooms in on his twins, but more importantly, it zooms in on uh, his daughter. It that does. Is, that is holding, that has a crown, is holding a sword and a scepter. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure in the, in the um, Norns, prophecy in the beginning she said something about the female becoming the queen i wasn't sure if that was olga or his daughter but i i I remember the norn saying something like that i forget what the exact quote was yeah like i don't who is that daughter i I don't know if that's supposed to be the representation is that just what's happening in his own mind is that his own idea of it is that actually what's happening is there actually gods controlling the wind taking this boat i don't (sighs) know I'm willing to believe it's accurate. I don't know how it know. Like, see, I can rationalize that he knows she's pregnant because why? We have an established time when we saw his, well, when we saw Olga on her period. 
Just two dudes on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, but but I mean, hey, 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 logically, we can say, okay, he knew that she was pregnant because he knew when that happened. He saw when that happened to her. And so if enough time has passed where she's not, you can just be like, oh, hey, you're probably pregnant, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 did have a pretty fun night in the woods, huh? Yeah, it's <laughs> on the forest floor, <laughs> right? Like that's not a a that, right? that's like a that's not like a huge leap in logic. No, not at all. To, to assume that he he could deduce that to get more specific, like well, at least that's just how I rationalize it. I'm sure there are other ways people uh, or other ways to look at it. Um. I I'd say it's real to him, but yeah, I don't think it's real. Okay. I I don't think it's real, but to him it it is a hundred percent true because I mean that that's just like Hallmark, you know, grade A example of PTSD, especially the fact that he was had to he was tripping pretty hard like an hour before he saw his dad get murdered yeah right so i feel like okay that's gonna meant that's gonna do some mental damage to you now where i can justify his hallucinations because he had some pretty intense hallucinations and then immediately saw his dad murdered at a young age so your yeah. brain's probably not gonna recover too well from that like that's how i justify those kinds of things happening yeah, and dude, I mean the 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 scene when they make the entire farm trip out with 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 the soup. Let me just say, you know, these people are not having nice trips. This is not yeah. a trip where you, where you you bake cookies beforehand and watch your favorite movie with your best friend. These are the kind of trips where demons are coming after you and you're swinging your sword wildly around <laughs> in the air. You know, so even the the tripping going on in here is a little a little negative for for what's going on, bro. Dude, and I I'll say when I was watching the movie and she like showed him the mushroom and she was like uh like uh what did she say she was something along the lines of i have i know i have exactly what we need to get them like to to you know for this revenge and she showed the mushroom and i said to one of my friends like get him really really high and then <laughs> Like to my amazement, yeah, that's exactly what they yeah. did. Yeah. Like, I thought it was just gonna, everybody out. I thought it was just gonna be some poison, but no, they're and, well, and dude, like my my favorite part of that scene is just when the dude with no nose is tripping out, and he keeps looking over at um Alexander Skarsgård, and he's just looking down with these evil eyes at him, dude. And it's it's in those tiny moments that I I think this movie truly succeeds. You know, it's in it's in those tiny moments where you do you, we've been talking about it the whole time. I've said we've been talking about it the whole time this whole time. Um, but like <laughs> you, you definitely are with Alexander Skarsgård and you want him to get the revenge. He is for sure a protagonist. And it's all the underlying stuff that you can kind of debate. But like while the movie's happening, it's I feel like it's just all those little moments that make it so cool of when they're tripping balls and it's the shot of him looking evil or when he's howling at the moon and the, the tiny fox is like howling with him. Oh, I just had a great, great example, dude. So the part when... Olga is about to run away and he is standing in the grass and he yells out who he is and what he's here for. And it's like low key, not that epic. 
you know, the three yeah. dudes go at him and start fighting him. And like, it's epic because it's our protagonist yelling at his uncle for the first time, exclaiming who he is. But this isn't happening on a crazy mountaintop. Lightning isn't striking behind him. It's a dude in the middle of the day in a grass field yelling that he's going to kill his uncle and then fighting some people and getting the crap kicked out of him, you know, again. So like I the the nature of this movie, the filmmaking of it creates a unique and interesting world that made me want more of it. And then on top of all that, there's just this interesting character development and narrative styles that honestly just crafted one of the coolest movies I've seen in a while. And I have not been able to get it out of my head for the last two days. I honestly want to go see it in theaters again. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I think I got to give this movie like a year before I see it again. Like, yeah, I got to I got to give it time to digest in my brain. It was so good. Um, One thing, too, that gets kind of tricky when we talk about that sort of uh, th- this is why it's sort of like it, it gets hard to <laughs> to sort of decipher like the fighting especially because there is an account of <laughs> this is like the craziest thing ever it's a crazy account because it's an account on both sides vikings and the english and it's an account of one viking berserker holding off the entire english army on a bridge <laughs> <laughs> a guy a guy that was they said was like seven feet tall they think who had a giant axe killed like 40 guys on this narrow bridge it was like the only way to cross the river and he was just murdering people and they gave enough time for the i think it was the vikings or it was like norwegians or something it gave enough time because they didn't know the english were there it gave them enough time to totally move their army as this guy just held off the bridge. And that's like, that's a documented event. (laughs) 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 And so it's like watching all this fighting. I'm like, yeah, I believe all of this could happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I believe that guy could climb a wall with nothing but like a hatchet. Yeah. I believe it. (laughs) Dude, honestly, how much do you think stuff like this happened in reality? You know, I mean, obviously not, not in this grand of a scale, but like, this is just, is this really what life was like back then? Like taking moments in time and making them your entire existence. You know, I, I feel like it's such a question of existence, honestly. I mean, it's definitely like, it's definitely like an epic, right? So you can't take everything um, literally. But I mean, Viking culture, dude, they sailed across the world, like the world, um, pillaging, raping, and enslaving people. And that's kind of why, if you look at Sweden, why everybody is like six six and blonde, is because they they stole the women they wanted. <laughs> like they <laughs> yeah. they 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 straight up were like just taking everything, hard, like aggressively into this culture of the strong survive and everybody else is useless. And so that's why it's kind of believable. Because they had a huge global impact. Yeah, for sure. 
And it's it's just utterly bananas. Like that, I wouldn't. You wouldn't want them to roll up to your town. No, dude, you do not want those Viking ships to pull up to your harbor at all, bro. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that I just have a magical rectangle box that lets me put on whatever song I want. And we live in a world where we can just talk about the movie into a microphone instead of of dreaming about the stars, you know? I can go get a panini right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know know how many wild boars I'm going to have to kill? Zero. Oh my god. So man, I um I feel like we, this this conversation was kind of focused on what I found super interesting about the movie. Kind of, I don't think you've really gotten into why you enjoyed it so much, dude. So give me give me your little love letter as to why when you walked out of this movie, you were like that was one of the best movies I've seen in this decade. I mean, it it goes back to the fact that it's just prime storytelling cuz it doesn't back down to what it wants to be. Doesn't you know? back down. It's not like like I think like Robin Hood, those movies, like every Robin Hood movie that's ever been made, they get watered down, right? Yeah. They get watered down so that audiences will like it more. And this movie, it does not feel watered down to me. It's full force. This is where we're at. This is where the story takes place. We're not back. We're not backing away for that from that for your sensibilities. And what what they do? They got some incredible source material, and that's what infuriates me. Like, you want to talk about great romance plot? Here's one. Yeah, where every single second of it is totally believable. It's not just like a Hollywood. You know what? This guy needs a love interest. This person needs a love interest. Like, no circumstances evolved and this is what happened yeah i believe every minute of it because <laughs> they just it's not like you don't need to like you really genuinely don't need to reinvent the wheel now i understand where it's like if every movie well is based off of that kind of format i i get it like that that's that makes sense but you know that's why people like lion king so much yeah like <laughs> it, it works, you know what I mean? Hero's like hero's journey, bro. Hero's journey. You can take, yeah, you can take these classical examples and put your twist. Because when I say a twist, it's such a heavy-handed turn, right? To say that, like the oh, this is just Hamlet. It's not. It's Viking Hamlet. It, it is yeah. Edgar's and Bjorn's Hamlet. Like it is entirely its own story. Yeah. Yeah. God. Just good storytelling is what it is. And oh, oh my gosh, the actors, every single person on camera is 100% on point. There wasn't a single scene where I was like, yeah, that was that could have been done better. Eh, they did an okay job. Uh, you know, I, I, I totally agree with that. There, there honestly, like there wasn't a, the only time that I got taken out of the movie was the first time the King tree showed up, but then they showed it enough times afterwards that I stopped being taken yeah. out of it. You know, that, that was yeah. really the only point that I was like, okay, that's weird. And Whoa, I, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. But then like the, the rest of it, no, like there really isn't like a bad acting moment that like kind of takes you out of it for a second or, you know, which is like the most infuriating stuff is those moments that remind you that you're watching a movie. Uh, Northman uh, didn't really do that. And for being like, you know, a little over two hours, I think that's super impressive. Yeah. No, it's really impressive. It, uh, every aspect of this film is impressive. Like it just, 
No, it's, it does it. It just does everything well. It does everything well. It's, it's just it's such a likable movie in my yeah. opinion, dude. Like, like it's it tempers your expectations. The story doesn't go where you think it's gonna go. Even based on the trailer, you really have no idea what the movie's gonna be, and then you end yeah. up seeing it, and it's this like wild revenge plot that isn't even. Your your traditional revenge plot, you know, and like this is just one of those movies that has just stuck with me for the last few days that I find myself deeply caring about, you know, that like I'm yeah. definitely gonna get get I'm getting this one on Steelbook, bro. Make no mistake. And and even <laughs> and even if you like acknowledge or know going into it, oh, it's kind of like Hamlet. It's still not predictable. Like no, you, not you're, at all. you're still gonna get a different thing. Like I'm pretty sure in Hamlet he makes a comment about poison being a woman's weapon. Yeah. I, know, I know that I'm pretty sure it happened in Shakespeare all the freaking time, but here they use poison. Like, yeah. uh, like, oh my, my God, like <laughs> you can't, it's surprising in every possible way. You're hungry to see what happens next. It's very violent. So if you don't like violence, <laughs> you're not going to enjoy it. But <laughs> yeah, dude, that was a gnarly game of stickball, bro. Oh dude, my when god! He, when he do when he just hits the dude in the face and breaks his jaw, bro, and then you did, see him later and his face is all scarred up, like oh my god! Did you recognize that guy, the big guy on the other team? No, nah, who was it? That was the mountain. Well, was it really? Yeah, oh, I, dude, I, I, I I had to I, I had to Google it after because like that kind of looks like him, but because he you know with the long hair and the clothes. It looks totally different. I was yeah. like, I'm pretty sure that's the mountain. <laughs> Dude, that's wild, bro. That man has just made such a living off being huge. I love it. <laughs> uh, he was really going to kill that kid, man. He, he really is, had no, he really no is, care he... for that child's life. He had well, no care for that child's life. That's Viking lore. Like, vi- that's the Viking life. Like I like that. I liked that scene in particular because it it did two things of showing okay, he d- he genuinely cares for that kid. And Viking culture isn't that good because that kid <laughs> almost yeah. got killed just trying to play a game. And that guy saw it as, oh, you're playing now? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, you you want to play little man? It wasn't yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a cute moment at all. It was not a cute moment, dude. <laughs> huh. Oh my god. It's it's uh. so fantastic. Everybody go watch it. It's worth it. This movie's going to win so many friggin' awards. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I need I yeah, needed no, to see I'll, this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm super glad you enjoyed it as much as I did, dude. I mean, I just that was the just to kind of wrap up our conversation because we're going on a little bit like the the thing that I found the most interesting was where to place all that symbolism. Yeah. And I'm still not sure what was real and what wasn't. And the fact Mm -hmm. that the entire Norns prophecy actually came true puts all of my confidence in into question. And I love that. You know, I I really (laughs) But I, I think that's important, dude. Like, yeah. just to go on, like, a tangent about our world at this moment in time with, like, the internet and takes and stuff like that. Like, I I like being proven wrong about a movie or a piece of media because I really feel like it just enhances the movie that someone can look at it and pull something completely different out of it that wasn't the intention at all, you know? And, like... yeah. 
I just I, I would love to have this conversation with 10 different people who all have different ideas of like what's going on in this movie, you know, because like like I'm 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 interested in having conversations that open my mind about storytelling and all the different ways that it can happen. And like there's no like wrong answers, dude, like, bro. OK, this is a mad random. I'm, I'm going to reference the Batman right now because I was watching a TikTok and this guy made a video talking about the significance of when Batman cut the cord at the end of the Batman and how that was this really symbolic moment that needed to happen for him to transition. And someone commented, yeah, but if he cut it lower on the cord, he wouldn't have been shocked. It's like, <laughs> like, hand on the forehead, bro, like miss the fucking point, dude, you know? But it's like, like you, you didn't need to say that, dude. You didn't need to like open your fucking dumb mouth. You know oh, what I mean? That, yeah. And, that and then, and then, and then another comment was like, "Yeah, it was good, but not perfect." And it's like, bro, to to look at anything in that light is just like so douchey and cynical and not pulling from the actual heart. <laughs> and like a movie like this, a movie like The Northman, dude, you can just pull so much from it. Midnight showing a conversation, no wrong answers, dude. No wrong answers. Yeah, it's like when I first watched Blade Runner, I just loved everything about it. I I love, I like the setting, I like the plot, I like the characters. Everything is just really good. Then you know, after I watched it, just looking stuff up about it, and it was like everybody's talking about is he an android or not. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't concerned about that. I was concerned about all the other androids. Now everybody's an android. (laughs) It's like, like, well, I guess I got to go watch this movie four more times to decide. (laughs) That kind of thing is incredible. Yeah, and I mean this. Uh, the, uh, just make no mistake, this is a phenomenal movie, and anybody who wants to tell you otherwise is just full of it. Because like, I don't know how you can be a fan, a fan of filmmaking and not think The Northman was just a great example of filmmaking. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, God. honestly, that's what's gonna agitate, dude. It's the other day, Daffy. I'm calling you out, Daffy. Said that he's not he wasn't gonna go see the Northman because it looked bad, and I was like, "What about it looked bad?" He's like, "I don't know, it just didn't look good." Like, what did he not like? Like, like in the trailer, did you not like the star-studded cast of incredible actors? (laughs) Like, did you not like the fact that it's a revenge plot? Like, what what about it was bad? (laughs) What about the trailer made it seem not even worth going to look at? At worst, it'd just be like a spaghetti western <laughs> revenge plot, yeah. but it wasn't. It's so much more. Yeah, dude, and just going <laughs> going into anything with that cynical attitude, I think you're just doing yourself a disservice. Anybody, you know, a- anybody's doing themselves a disservice. Yeah, I will say that's probably been the best thing watching movies about doing this podcast is the fact that I really try to eliminate all judgments about something until until i see it yeah no exactly it it means i've seen a lot of trash since this but it also means when i do see something good i know it's good yeah yeah no exactly dude exactly and it's 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 within these conversations that we're 
able to figure out why we like it, dude. Because that's all anybody does, bro. You know, like that's that's the whole part point of this podcast is that we're not reviewing things, we're not critiquing things, we're having a conversation about it. Just two friends having a conversation, and that's what anybody does. Anybody yeah. who sees a movie and talks to talks to somebody else about it, that's all you're doing is just having a conversation about it. And I think. Movies like this, movies like The Northman, are worth your time to just have a in, not even an intelligent conversation. I was about to say an intelligent conversation. Fuck intelligence, bro. Just oh talk God. about why you like it. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, like, just talk about why you like it. It doesn't matter, you know? Just talk about what you liked or didn't like about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It, it's uh, everything, everything. <laughs> Everything is going to have its negative points. I don't know if we've said a single one about this movie, but <laughs> everything <laughs> everything is going to have its negative points. And uh, my, my, my only thing is that he looked way cooler with long hair, and he should have just kept the long hair the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of he looked like a like a little village person after yeah. the movie. Because <laughs> should have kept the hair. Should have kept the hair. Should have kept the hair. Yeah. Keep an open mind for things because that like talking about what I like to see in stories has really made me enjoy seeing it in stories so much more. Yeah, so exactly. Like, it's like, oh my God, that's what I like. <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm definitely going to see every movie this guy has ever made. Um, yeah. Got anything else to add like, before we wrap it up? Um, well, we have episodes in the bank, and this is going to come out way before those episodes, so in theory, we could watch his movie next, and there'd be enough weeks in between for not to be weird. So, My God, oh. the people the people will never know until, yep. until we release it. Well, <laughs> well, if you liked what we talked about, if you hated what we, what we talked about, if you felt kind of so-so about it, I don't really care, but let us know. Uh, you can message us on Instagram. It's probably the best spot to do it, just because we'll see it right away. Um, you can email us at midnight showing with Luke and Nash at gmail.com. Um, if you're curious about making your own podcast, uh, ambiguous podcast solutions.com. Although I think the website might be going down soon. So maybe just reach out on Instagram. I think <laughs> start your podcast soon, baby. You better start it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or develop. There's, some development stuff going on. Um, the website is changing. I know in the future, I don't know exactly when, but uh, that's a good spot to look if you want to make your own show or you could message us, you know, we'll get you in contact with people that will get you started on that. Um, <laughs> what else? I think that's about it. Yeah, I don't even have a quote because the movie was so good. I just want to quote the whole thing. Pretending to be a dog and farting. <laughs>